Hey, this is Pastor Mike Signorelli. Welcome to the V1 Church Podcast. Take this time and invest in yourself. I am so glad that you decided to join us today. I'm gonna be teaching a message about chasing the wind. Sometimes it feels so futile in our lives, like we're double-minded because we're pursuing our passions, but then we're totally shut down at the same time. So what does it look like to go all in? What does it look like to have your mind made up? Go ahead and lock in. I've got a special message for you on the other side of this sermon, and I cannot wait to find out what God did in your life as you listen to this message. Hey everyone, welcome to the broadcast today. You're having church in your home, at a watch party, wherever you're at, and I sincerely wanna welcome you. We've got a live studio audience right now. If you could put your hands together, get all <laughs> say get all loud. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike Signorelli. I'm the lead pastor of V1 Church, and I sincerely hope that you feel that you have found an authentic home. So drop a comment right now and just tell everybody, welcome home. Put in there, welcome home. Tell everybody, welcome home. We have pastors, care pastors, that are in the chat right now. We've got Dream Team members that are there to welcome you from all over. And we're so excited that you decided to be a part of service today, wherever you're at. I love our V1 global family. And uh, so I want you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter four. And we're gonna really, uh, this, this is kind of like the grand finale of the comparison trap. And Ecclesiastes chapter four, I'm gonna really unpack these scriptures today. And I'm just gonna believe that God is gonna help you. I, I guess if I did have a title for this message, I'm gonna drop it right off the top. I'm gonna call it Chasing the Wind. I'm gonna call it Chasing the Wind. Isn't that like a Bob Seger song or something? What? I, I don't know. Okay, anyways, um, nothing for that. Put the laugh track in for that. <laughs> Insert laugh track, Ecclesiastes chapter four. Um, let, me, let me word it like this. Are you the type of person that starts something and then stops it? Starts something else, stops it. Are you the kind of person that gets super passionate about something and you're like, oh man, this is the craziest, best idea ever. I'm gonna do this thing, it's gonna be awesome. And you start to do it and then you stop it and your friends are like, but I thought you were so into whatever, but you've moved on. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, it got real quiet. It's probably convicting. Chasing the wind, chasing the wind. Now Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, was the wisest man to ever walk planet Earth. And so as we extract the wisdom of God from Ecclesiastes today, I want you to, to understand that God is gonna speak directly into your situation. Many of us feel exhausted, just straight up. You've been furloughed from your job and you're like, well, how do I reinvent myself? We feel exhausted because, you know, you're like, man, I just keep getting older. Think about even the society in which we live where, at least here in the United States, you start in kindergarten and then there's first grade, second grade, and then you get to 12th grade and they're like, okay, guess what, there's more. And then you go to college, four years, and they're like, hey, there's more. And then you get a master's and they're like, hey, guess what, if you wanna keep going, there's more. Then you get a doctor and they're like, there's more. So we have this society set up where other people are always determining what's next, and there's always more. But sometimes when we're like, but God, what I feel that I have in my life doesn't fit into that nice little package, and what do I do after I'm done with all the next steps that society has prescribed to me? And there can be a level of anxiety in your life. One of the things that we struggle with as a people around the world is with this pressure to make something out of ourselves. 
You know, we just happen to be alive in a time where we have to make something out of ourselves. And it's the blessing that feels like a curse. It's the opportunity that feels like opposition. Because really, historically, you were born into a family with a trade, you inherited the trade, and you just did what was expected to you, and that became your burden. That was your prison, is I have to be what everyone before me was. But we have now the American dream that feels like a nightmare. Because you're like, I gotta figure my life out, what? Why can't somebody just tell me what to do? and you find this crisis occurs, I call it the quarter life crisis. The quarter life crisis occurs when you get done doing all the steps they tell you to do, and then you're like, now I have to make a decision for myself? And that's when the temptation to chase the wind begins to occur. And so as we talk about the comparison trap, and man, there is just so many testimonies, so many things that God has done through this series. I wanna read to you the the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter four. So uh, follow along on the screen, uh, take notes. One of my favorite things about just having this digital community is all of you sending me pictures of your journals, pictures of your walls that are covered with the notes from these messages. And it's such an encouragement for me as a pastor to really see you engage with the text and really become a student of God's ways. And I believe that we need ancient wisdom for modern problems. People are always looking for the new thing. I'm looking for the old thing because it worked back then and it's going to work today because God never changes. And so in Ecclesiastes, this wisdom is for you today. It says this in chapter four, verse four, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing of the wind. Okay, let's back up. The wisdom of Solomon says, I saw that all achievement, so sometimes even the things that you accomplish in your life was actually born out of envy. That's a crazy thing. How many things have you done in your life that if you look back on them, you're like, I don't know if I was really passionate about that, but I was really passionate about being better than that other person at that thing. How many things have you done in your life that you're like, I, don't, I can't say it was true passion and I didn't really wanna do it. I just wanted to do it because of how it made me look in relation to someone else. There's something so profound about that scripture that says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. It's a chasing of the wind. Watch this, verse five. Fools fold their hands and they ruin themselves. So he's saying, well, the option isn't just to fold your hands and be like, oh, I get it. I just won't do anything now. No, that's, that's also meaningless. And, and you will ruin yourself folding your hands. There are some people that are so beat down by comparison and envy and jealousy that they just fold their hands. If you're a parent and you're like, why is my kid just not doing anything? Can I give you some insight as a parent? It's because they're looking at all their friends online and saying, I can't even match or exceed what they're doing, so I'm just not even gonna try. I'm just gonna fold my hands. But in their foolishness, it'll bring them to ruin. And so they need to be actually delivered from this comparison trap. You know, I'm from the Midwest. When I first moved out to Queens and pastor in Long Island, this region, I didn't realize because see, where, where I'm from, everyone's working class, which means that they went into the trades, they're plumbers, carpenters, electricians, um, and they do that kind of work primarily. We actually have the steel mill industry where I'm from, which means that people come out of high school, they test in, and they just work and actually manufacture steel. And so that's primarily what uh, vocations people choose where I'm from. 
But then when I moved out to New York, you know, I started to pastor people who had parents that were wildly successful, parents that were entrepreneurs, parents that had amassed wealth, multi-generational businesses, things that I didn't realize had created a paralyzing fear in their life. And actually I would look at their laziness and I'd say, I don't understand, you're so intelligent. I don't understand, you're so capable. Why don't you do anything? Why is there a folding of the arms? And what I come to realize is that it was the envy in their heart that was actually producing this palpable fear. And they said, I don't even wanna try because there's no way I can do what my parents did and there's no way I can do any better. But see, the wisdom of Solomon says, fools fold their hands and they ruin themselves. But in verse six, he says, watch, watch this. This is so, so profound. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing the wind. I'm telling you, I'm pastoring a restless world with two hands full of toil. Here's what I have and here's what I'm chasing, but what I don't have is tranquility. What I don't have, let me give you the definition for biblical tranquility, contentment and peace. I don't have contentment and I don't have peace. And the wisdom of Ecclesiastes says this, it says better is just one handful of tranquility, which is one handful of contentment, one handful of God's peace, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now let me explain what that looks like. Let's kind of like get the mental picture together. Cause I, if you can't tell already, this is gonna be a message that just helps you in such a deep, deep way. Because I'm speaking into some behaviors and some attitudes and some actions that are connected to those behaviors and attitudes that you have actually struggled with for years and years of your life. And really, if you're watching, no matter where you're watching, whether it's here in the United States or abroad, you have been conditioned to chase the wind. You have been conditioned to chase the wind. It's sort of like culturally how we all live. And don't think it's anything new, please, because Jesus even said himself, hey, I know that you're so worried about what you wear, but those lilies in the field will never be clothed. Uh, will, those lilies in the field are clothed, clothed better than Solomon, who we're reading in Ecclesiastes, could have ever been clothed in his splendor. Hey, I know you're so worried about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about those things. Jesus tried to deliver this existential uh, contentment, this existential peace, this, and that word means moment by moment. Ex, you know, it's funny because you've seen a lot of people leave the church. I've had many friends leave the church within the last several years, and they've gone into pseudo-spiritualism and a, a, a sort of like pseudo-spiritualism where, you know, especially in some practices, even your Apple Watch has an element of spirituality connected to it. It'll literally tell you to breathe. <laughs> Your watch tells you to breathe. Think about that. That's a spiritual belief. Like, okay, duh, breathing biologically is an involuntary uh, reflex. If you need a reminder, you're dead, <laughs> right? So if you need somebody to tell you to breathe, you're dead. And so what it's actually saying is pay attention to your breath because you are not in the moment and what's happening is we're losing the body of Christ to a lot of Eastern spirituality because we've separated the Eastern context that's always been in Scripture. <laughs> scripture is actually, Jesus was Eastern, not Western. <laughs> and so I'm here as a pastor to reclaim what is mine. <laughs> 
And, and so when we say breathe, what he's saying is better is one hand with tranquility than two hands full of toil and chasing the wind. So what that means is this. Yesterday, you've heard the preacher say it, is in the tomb. Tomorrow is in the womb. It means it hasn't been birthed yet. Today is all we've got. And we serve a Jesus that disciples us in such a way that causes us to pay attention to the here and the now. But you've got to find your space in that tension where you have one hand reaching, pressing forward, focusing on the future, but then you have another hand full of tranquility. You have another hand full of God's peace. You have another hand full of the right now. I can't stand my six-year-old. She's just as stubborn as me. I got one hand that's reaching. I, I was going to say to spank her, but last time I said that, some Canadians wrote me in the email and told me, don't spank your kids. So I'm not going to say that, okay? This is a true story. But I've got one hand reaching towards the future. This day where my six-year-old is disciplined and she knows how to act right and she's matured out of, uh, you know, this this stage. But I have another hand that looks at her and says, but you're not going to be this this way for long. You're not going to be this age. And I've got to learn how to love the here and now so that I can find contentment until I get to the future that I'm hoping for. And we're not taught that in our lives. We're actually taught that there's something so disgusting and so vile and so wrong about the here and now that you have to mentally and emotionally escape it and put yourself either in the romanticizing and the nostalgia of the past or somehow in this imagined future. And we live in this crazy reality where we are everywhere except for where we are in reality. And God wants to restore the wisdom. Uh, And let me talk about chasing the wind because here's the picture I want to create for you, okay? So when you think about chasing the wind, it's it's not entirely fruitless. It's not just like um, there's, I'll put it like this. See, wind is something you feel. So when wind is blowing, you see it and you feel it. So in other words, when the wind is blowing through the trees, Even if you are completely deaf, you have a visual representation of the effects of the wind. So you can see something happening. Somebody know where I'm going. You can also feel it. And so it moves, it moves your clothing as it comes through you. And so to chase the wind means that you will actually experience something that gives you a visible picture and and you can see, oh, look, this is working. Or you can feel it. Oh yeah, that, that feels right. But If you are only chasing the wind, you have actually already done the most aimless, fruitless thing you can do because you're chasing a feeling and you're chasing a visual. You're chasing the wind. And see, this is what happens when the gurus on your Instagram say, swipe up to take my course. You chase the wind and you feel something. You're like, oh yes, I'm finally headed in the right direction. I'm learning something. I just completed a course. And then all of a sudden you you start to see a little bit of result. Okay, it's happening, but you're chasing the wind. You're chasing the wind. It's like people have monetized and, and amassed an incredible amount of money off of you chasing the wind that they're creating through their machines. And they literally will give you just enough feeling They'll literally, how many romantic relationships have you been? Can we get really real right now where you were just chasing the wind? Man, that feeling, that exhilaration you had, 
you're like, oh, this is it. Now I, I feel so alive. Isn't it funny? There's something about a new relationship where you have old job, old house, old car, new relationship equals new feelings about everything. You know, you're like walking on sunshine. Oh, there's just something about being in a new relationship. But if it's not the will of God for your life and it's not the person you should be chasing, you'll, you'll feel the effects of the wind. You'll have the feeling. You'll see the visual. You'll finally be able to post up on your Facebook, on your Instagram, whatever, your, that, that, that picture with that person. And okay, man, now I have somebody to squeeze and to hold. But then just as soon as you put a grasp on them, you realize that relationship dissipates and you are just chasing the wind. You were just chasing the wind. So what does Solomon have to say about this? It's, he says this, verse seven, and I saw something meaningless under the sun. Verse eight, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no one to end his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Watch, so he wasn't content now with what he saw and he was all alone. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business, two are better than one. Okay, I waited the whole sermon to say this. I know that this is helping you, but I waited the whole sermon to say what I'm about to say right now. Could it be that when you swiped up on that course, you weren't thinking about someone else, you were thinking about one, and that's why it didn't work? Could it be that when you entered in that relationship, you didn't really care about that person as much as you cared about your own loneliness and you were actually experiencing the power of one and not the power of two? Could it be that so many of the things that you chased, you actually chased it for you and because you chased it for you, you experienced the consequences of one instead of the power of two? I can't tell you how many church people I talk to you. Pastor Mike, it's crazy. I've tried my whole life to write original worship and I just, it didn't go anywhere. Then I come into V1 Church and look what we did. I tried my whole life to get involved in ministry. I tried my whole life to build a business. I hear these stories on a weekly basis and it just never worked. And then I came together. And as I came together, it's like sort of this crazy experience where my weakness was someone else's strength and my strength was someone else's weaknesses, and I encountered the power of two instead of suffering the consequences of one. There's something so deep about what I'm trying to communicate to you. I can't even begin to explain to you how many times people have done things with someone else, not realizing that they were doing it for themselves. <laughs> They did something with someone else, not realizing that because they did it for themselves, that's why it didn't work. And when you experience this revelation that the most wise person to ever walk the planet gave us, immortalized in this ancient text, you can live and you can thrive in some modern times. Let me continue. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. So he's just completely all by himself. There was no one to end his toil. So toiling is ended by coming into relationship with someone else, right? Okay, so we talk about it's better to have one hand that's full of toil and another one that's full of tranquility than two that are full of toil. 
So guess what? You have to come into agreement. The power of agreement means entering into intentional relationship and selflessly giving to somebody else. You have a choice in this season, politically, a clenched fist or an open hand. You have a decision to make in this season, economically, a clenched fist or an open hand. You can experience the consequences of one or the power of two. This is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom of God. He says, for who am I toiling, he asks, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now watch, and this is my favorite part, verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Verse 10, and now we say this in the context of marriage all the time, but I believe we limited it to the context of marriage because there's much bigger implications. If either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. I think about the story that my wife told last week during the tithe and offering portion about how outside of our apartment window in Queens, she heard a woman screaming. This elderly woman had somehow fallen face forward down the stairs and her feet were caught up, literally wrapped up into the, the, the banister where you hold on the railing. And so in that situation, this woman would have been left in that condition, but the power of two enabled her to get out of that situation. And it says in scripture in verse 10, uh, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up, has no one to help them up. Verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep one warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Hear, hear what I'm saying, one can be overpowered. Do you feel just beat up by life? Do you feel like, man, I just can't make it to the next level, I try. Have you ever felt like you take two steps forward and one step back? Have you ever felt like I, I just keep bucking up against this wall that's right in front of me and I don't know how to break through that wall? It's the power of two. It's the power of two, but this is what comparison tells you. Comparison tells you compete with that other person, don't collaborate. Comparison tells you envy that other person, don't celebrate. This is what we have to come out of the foolishness of the way the world chases the wind and say, wait a second, what I need most to break through right now is relationship and connectivity with someone else. Verse 12 says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then this is the famous scripture that you have, and I've said this many times at many wedding ceremonies, but I want you to hear it in a different context. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. There's so many of you who, before you came to Christ, Maybe you just felt all alone. Maybe you just felt like it's just me against the world. Have you ever said that phrase before? It's just me against the world. Have you ever had your husband walk out on you and just say, well, I've got to figure this out on my own. Some of the most independent people I've ever met in my life are the most broken people because brokenness keeps people at a distance. Brokenness says, wait a second, I've tried trust. I've tried trust before, pastor. Hey, you know all these scars on my back? Yeah, that's what happened when I trusted. And so now I just do it on my own. And, and this is a moment of vulnerability because the comparison trap just says, you know what? I'm gonna be my kid's mom and dad. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna do it all on my own. 
and you're just buried under the weight of your own self-reliance. You're just buried under the weight of trusting yourself above all, but you've made the mistake of trusting yourself more than God. So when we talk about the power of agreement, you know why churches are closing their doors by the thousands through this season? Because wounded people say, I'll just do my spirituality on my own. My watch will tell me when to breathe. My instructor will tell me how to pay attention to the moment. I can do a course on my phone. And we've become so individualistic, but it's not out of the strength of character. It's out of the brokenness of our previous experiences. But God wants you to trust again because he designed you as a creature for relationship. The musicians that are behind me right now are experiencing what happens when they bring their instruments into the same key and the same beats and the same measures of time. And there's something that happens in them when they enter in to the fullness of relationship that says, I'm gonna play a guitar and it's different than the piano, but together we're gonna bring a song. And you see, some of you, it's like you have become a solo instrumentalist, but God's saying it's time to join the band. It's time to experience the power of two, the power of agreement. Some of you are one conversation away from the next marriage that's going to heal the first marriage. Man, I'm covered in chills right now, and you're going to come up into the power of two. Some of you are just one pastor away from being shepherded through the wounds of a previous shepherd, but you're caught in a comparison trap and the great shepherd of Jesus Christ is gonna release you from that trap in this moment and you're gonna encounter the power of agreement. Who am I talking to? Sometimes you're just one job away from actually being healed from the wounds of a previous boss, but you've gotta trust again. You've gotta give again. It's foolishness to fold your arms and say, I'll just sit here and bury my destiny. It's foolishness to say, I'm not gonna try again. It's wisdom. It's wisdom to say, I'm gonna give. Because Jesus, this is the gospel moment of the comparison trap. Jesus said, while you were yet sinners, I put my love on the line with no guarantee that you would receive me. I didn't do it because I knew it was gonna work out. I did it because it was the right thing to do. And when you take on the heart of Jesus, you say, I'm gonna trust because the power of two says all alone I'm overwhelmed and I'm overcome. But with God, I have a strong and mighty defender. I have a strong and mighty defender. Hey, you can't steal from me because I have an infinite supply. It's the power of two. My, I know what my bank account says, but I know that he'll meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. It's the power of two. It, it's what occurs when you join together. My finite with his infinite means that I enter into the infinite and you can cannot stop what God has ordained and joined himself to, and the favor of God is upon my life, not because I'm good, but because he's good. 
and I'm covered in his righteousness and I've gained access to all that's his and I'm the seed of Abraham. My, my maternal grandfather may have messed up, but my eternal great-grandfather stood as faith and said, I'm gonna move in a direction I've never seen anybody else move in because I know the power of agreement. My wife is with me and my God is with me and I'm gonna see God fulfill the promises so that my descendants outnumber the stars and there's somebody that's being engrafted into the family of faith right now that's saying no one may have gone this far but I'm gonna take the next step past the hurt, past the wound, past the distrust because he is for me even if they were against me. He is for me even if they were against me. He's for me even if they were against me. He gets me even if they don't get me. He understands me even if they don't understand. I want you to declare this song right now because I see some legs coming out of a comparison trap right now. I see some legs coming out of a comparison trap and I see you running into your future. He's for you. Come on, make that declaration. Sing it out loud. Let your children hear it. Let your spouses hear it. Let the walls hear it. Come on, sing it. Hey, well, listen, we've got so many testimonies already in the DMs, emails, texts, community from people all around the United States and the world saying, Pastor Mike, this message helped me so much. So we wanna hear from you. Make sure you download the V1 Church app, go into Google Play or the Apple App Store and just type in V1 Church. And while you're in there, please consider helping us reach so many more people around the world with the gospel by giving. Every single financial gift helps us reach so many more people. And the best way to respond to God's investment in your life through this sermon is to give so someone else can hear it. Hey, I'll see you guys next week for our series entitled Overwhelmed. Oh, I can't wait for the month of December. It's going to be incredible.